No matter how you made it into the new year, no matter what situation or circumstance may be taking place right now, you could just call on them. You can just call on them. We don't need a high priest any longer to call on them. We don't need a, a priest to go on our behalf to call on them. Though we may love the fact that Grandma and them was praying for us, we don't need them to call on Jesus for us because we can go ourselves and just call on them. Acknowledge that Jesus is already present. He's already working, but, but, but sometimes it's, it's good for your own soul just to just be reminded that I can call on him. I can call on the name of Jesus to step into my home right now. I can ask Jesus to show up on my job right now. I can ask Jesus to show up in my school right now. I can ask Jesus to show up in my marriage right now. I can just call upon the name of Jesus right now, and he's willing to step in because he's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a glorious God, and he's with us. You may need to call on him right now. Just call on the name of Jesus right now. At the name of Jesus, demons shall bow. At the name of Jesus, strongholds will be broken. At the name of Jesus, the dead will be made, made whole. Those who, who are broken will be healed. At the name of Jesus. There's something about the name Jesus. There's just something about his name. Doesn't matter what's going on. There's something about the name of Jesus that produces a confidence, a supernatural peace that's able to sustain you, that's able to lead you, to guide you, is something about the name of Jesus. We praise God that he has allowed us one more Sunday to gather together the body of Christ and to lift up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, upon this morning. I thank the choir, the praise team for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you to Michael Bellucci for leading us in our responsive reading. Brother Michael McGee for leading us in our call to worship. Amen. Amen. Let me just pray for us this morning, and we'll dig into God's Word. That this morning will not be about us, but it will continue to be about the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal Father, we just humble ourselves at your feet. Certainly, Lord. It is the name of Jesus that is preeminent. It is the name of Jesus that is from everlasting to everlasting. It is the name of Jesus by which we gather this morning to worship your holy and righteous name. And Father, I thank you 
for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have deposited within this church the spirit of Christ himself that leads us into all righteousness, that reminds us about the words of Christ, that we may exalt your holy name this day. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come into your house of worship one more time, to gather, to encourage one another, to remember just how you have been faithful down through the, through the years. Thank you for so great a salvation. We thank you for so great a redemption. We thank you that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the sinless sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross and for the fact that we serve a living and risen Savior. He is not dead, but he is alive. And Father, right now, I ask that you will pour out your spirit upon this place, that uh, you will set the captives free, O oh God. Whatever issues of life may be burdening uh, our hearts and minds right now, Father, I ask that you will just set us free that we would indeed worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, please give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart to receive your word with joy and gladness this morning. Father, hide me behind thy cross. I'm not worthy to stand before your people, but Father, I'm not worthy, but I know I've been called. And because I've been called, we're just going to do what you told us to do. Is that is to preach and teach your word in season and out of season. Whether we feel like it or, or whether we don't. Father, we're going to bless your name. Whether we're having a good day or a bad day, Father, we bless your name. Father, whether the circumstances are favorable or, or against us, Father, we're going to bless your name. And I pray that you would receive all the glory, all of the honor, for your glory, and for your name's sake, we do pray. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Indeed, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you to this gathering of uh, the church called Forest Baptist. For those of you who haven't been able to see, Happy New Year to you. Uh, it is good to, to be walking into uh, 2020, and uh, my prayer is that the Lord would, would do uh, amazing things for us this year, and, and, and teasingly, I've, I've just been teasing people all week, like new year, new you, a new opportunity, a fresh start, uh, but, but beloved, guess what? We don't, we don't have to wait for a new year to have a new you. Because the word testifies in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So you don't have to wait to the first of the year to turn over a new leaf. All you have to do is just really start walking with Jesus, and he'll give you a fresh start. He'll give you a new start. So you may have already fallen off the bandwagon on January 1, but Jesus says, therefore, if you are in Christ... You, you're a new creature. You got your new you, baby. And if God is working in you right now, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, you can have a new start if Jesus is leading you, guiding you, and directing you. Over the Christmas holiday, I, I challenged some of the, the men to read the entire New Testament with me. And in doing so, it, it was a 
it was it was it was sweet. It was a sweet time of just reading God's word, just sitting, reading entire books in, in one sitting. It's, it's, it's really not as hard as it looks. So don't look at me like, oh, pastor, you just, no, it, it really ain't that hard. But in doing so, the Lord just refreshed my soul in a special way. And, and I've even heard reports from the men of how the Lord has just taken their mind and their thoughts and and, 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 and centered their focus back on Jesus, and it give, has given them a new pers, uh, perspective and a, and a fresh look on life, even their circumstances. The circumstances had, hadn't necessarily changed, but because God's been working and changing their mind, they can have a new uh, look on life, a new perspective. That happens when you place the Word of God before you. It's been a sweet time, but in doing so, in reading the New Testament, I was reminded of the words found in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and 2, that, 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 said, that say, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You hear that? Hold on to that. As stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found Faithful faithful. And beloved, as the local body of Christ, I just want us to begin this year considering what does it mean to be faithful towards God? Does faithfulness to God mean showing up for church every Sunday? Does faithfulness to God mean avoiding those big sins and doing the right thing? Those are some ways to be faithful toward God, but I submit to you even more, to be faithful towards God is to be a faithful steward for God. Let us begin this year asking ourselves, am I using all that God has entrusted to me for his pleasure and his purposes? Let me say that again. Ask yourself. Am I using all that God has entrusted to me? And I'm looking over you, and, and the Lord has blessed you. The Lord has been good to you. And, and he's entrusted you with a whole lot of things. But are you using all that God has entrusted for his pleasure and his purposes? And over the next few weeks, we're going to delve into the subject of stewardship. Stewardship of your time. Stewardship of your talent, stewardship of your treasures, but then also stewardship of your testimony, your witness. But this week, it serves as our introduction to this subject. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew, the 25th chapter, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 30, this, this familiar parable that Jesus gives to his disciples. And if you would, if you are able to, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 30. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. For it will be like, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one he gave, uh, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, uh, and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And verse 30. And cast the worthless servant to the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The introduction for our study and stewardship. I'm just entitling, entitling this sermon before us this morning, the foundation for faithful stewardship. The foundation for faithful stewardship. Are you a faithful steward? How would you know if you were a faithful steward? You know, it, it isn't like we have a JCPS map test to uh, measure our faithfulness and our stewardship. Uh, but what we do have is God's word to measure ourselves against. We, we, we don't want to measure ourselves against everybody else. We don't want to measure ourselves against the world. We don't, we don't even want to measure ourselves against the, uh, that, 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 that holy person that's sitting down the row from you right now. We want to measure ourselves according to the word of God. And why do we need to measure ourselves? Here it is. Here's our thesis for today. Because your faithfulness toward God is revealed in your stewardship for God. Your faithfulness toward God is revealed in your stewardship for God. The Bible reveals to us and constantly reminds us that we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. But our works 
show that we are saved. Amen. The people of God weren't saved to sit. The people of God were saved to serve. And this is the thrust of the parable Jesus is sharing with his disciples as he is sitting on the Mount of Olives. He, he, he is giving them a, a deeper understanding of what will be required of them in the judgment. See, prior to this uh, Jesus sitting, he, he has been answering a question from the disciples. And the, and the question was simply, Jesus, when are you going to return and when is the end going to come? Then Jesus goes into a, a, a list of instructions telling them the signs. Well, these are the signs. This is what it's going to look like. This is what's going to take place. The uh, uh, abomination of desolation. Uh, all these signs are going to take place, one. But then secondly, we need to make sure that, that we, we realize that he's coming back. And when he do, we better be ready. These are the signs that I'm coming but no one knows when I'm coming. So, so don't try to, try to figure it out. Don't, if anyone is telling you they know when Jesus is coming back, uh, tell them they're a liar because Jesus said, don't nobody know the day or the hour. So for uh, all these prophets and apostles who, who predict and say 2020 is the year, they don't know. They just guessing. Jesus, if he wanted to, he could come back in that next breath. He could come back right now. But don't nobody know the day or the hour. And Jesus is, he, he's saying because you don't know the day or the hour of his return and the end of the age, just be ready for when he does come. So he gives the parable of the ten virgins and some of them running out of oil. Why are they running out of oil? Because they wasn't ready. And when a bridegroom comes, he, he, he takes, he takes the, the brass with him. And those who, who try to come later, they're trying to get in, but it's too late. They weren't ready. But here in this parable, Jesus is taking the principle of stewardship and, and reminding us in light of the coming judgment, you better be ready. And readiness is tied to your faithfulness. Well, how do I know? Then I'm faithful because I am being a good steward over what God, I, I'm, I am working right now for the Lord. How do I know I'm being faithful? Not, not because you used to work in the nursery, not because you used to share your faith, but because I'm ready right now. That's how you know when you're faithful. Readiness is a matter of faithful stewardship. In this text, as we read along this a steward it refers to a manager, a manager of a household or uh, of household affairs, especially a, 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 a supervisor or a superintendent. When you think about a, a steward, think about Joseph in, in Genesis, the 39th chapter. Joseph, he's sold into slavery, and, and we see that he's sold into slavery and goes into Potiphar's house. And as he is in Potiphar's house, he is being faithful to the Lord in spite of the fact that he's just been sold into slavery. See, this is a reminder, too. It don't matter your, your situation or circumstance. You still can be faithful to the Lord. 
It, it don't matter if you don't like your job. It, it don't matter if you dreading getting up tomorrow on Monday. You still can be an obedient and faithful employee on Monday, not because of what they give or how they treat you, but because God is your God and he requires us to be faithful. Joseph, in the midst of slavery, he, he, he shows himself to be an excellent servant. So Potiphar places him in charge of his house, and he carries on all of the affairs of Potiphar. That's what it means to be a faithful steward. I commend to you Tony Evans, his new book. Uh, it just came out this week. I picked it up to, to help me walk along in this study of stewardship. It's called Kingdom Stewardship. And in it, he, he, he quotes, he gives a definition of what a kingdom steward is. And a kingdom steward, uh, is, they are believers who faithfully oversee the protection and expansion of the assets uh, God has entrusted to them to manage on his behalf. A kingdom steward, kingdom stewards are believers who faithfully oversee the protection and expansion of the assets God has entrusted to them to manage on his behalf. In order to walk this walk, in order to be a faithful steward, we need to have a, a mindset of a steward. See, being a steward is not just something you just wake up and do, but being a steward is a complete approach to life. It's how you live your life. And when we look at the text this morning, I just want to flush out three things in order that we need to recognize in order to be a faithful steward. To be a faithful steward you must recognize that everything belongs to God. To be a faithful steward, secondly, we need to recognize that we are responsible for what God has entrusted. And thirdly, faithful stewards recognize they are accountable for what God has entrusted. Let's dig into this. In verses 14 and 15, we see faithful stewards recognize everything Everything belongs to the Lord. In the parable, it says a, 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 a man, a, a master, he, he, he begins on a journey, and in doing so, he entrusts some property to his servants. And he gives to, to, to one servant five talents. He gives to one two talents and to another one talent. See, uh, as he is preparing to go away, he is making sure all of his affairs are in order and things are taken care of. So he calls into service three of his servants. Now, in this, it's important to understand when he's talking about talents, it's not so much our talents like, like you know, playing ball. Like, like Brother uh, Kiare Rowan, he, he has talent on the basketball court. See, not, not, not talent like that, but these talents are measured sums of money. A talent usually were pieces of silver, and a talent was approximately 75 pounds in weight. And, and according to, to some experts, they, 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 they would say that one talent in biblical times is almost worth like $1.4 million. So think about that. This master was so rich in treasure that he just, he gave to his, his servants millions of dollars he entrusted to them to, to, to hold and to work with. So understand, when, when he's saying talents, is not just our ability, but talents are the treasures of God that he has given to us. God has given us so many 
treasures. Uh, it's calculated that one talent was worth over 6,000 6, denarii. A denarii being a single day's wage. One talent is worth 6,000 days of work. This master was rich. He had, uh, in, 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 in Luke, the 19th chapter, uh, a parallel account of this, this parable. It, it says this, this master, he had his own kingdom. He had so much, and he gives portion of what he has. See, understand that. It, it, this is kind of hard to comprehend. Not only is he given his servants millions of dollars, that's just a portion of everything he got. But he is giving this portion to his servants. But what I want you to notice about the text of these servants, notice the master calls his servants. They're his. And not only does he call his servants, he entrusts them with his property. Not only does he call his servants and entrust them with his property, but he does it according to his determination. See, what Jesus wants us to understand is that everything in this parable belongs to the master. The master owns everything and the servants own nothing. Hear that. Feel the weight of that. This is so important because when we come to Scripture, we, try, we come with a perspective that God has his portion and I got mine. And, you know, that's, that's like in some of our marriages. They got their money and I got my money. But Jesus says, when, you, when, I, when I marry you, when you become my bride, we got one bank account and it all belongs to me. Jesus owns everything. We own nothing. That means... Everything we get is from God. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are or how qualified you think you are to get that job. God says everything belongs to me. If you don't believe me, we can walk through the text of Scripture. And, and beloved, when, when I pull out all these Scriptures, I do it for a reason. I want you to understand it's not just me preaching. It's, this is not my opinion. But this is what thus saith the Lord. And if you need to understand that everything belongs to God, we can drop, we can drop the mic on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we ain't going to drop the mic there. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, verses 11 through 12. If, if you're able, join me there. 1 Chronicles, the, the 29th chapter, verses 11 through 12. First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. The word of God reads, yours, O Lord. Not, not mine. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Watch this. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Watch this. Verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So, so, so in 1 Chronicles, David is praying. He's praying this prayer, and he said, Lord, everything belongs to you. 
you blessing us with the means to, in order to build this temple, Lord. It, it wasn't our means that did it. It, it, was, it wasn't the people's tax money that did it, Lord. It was because of you that we have anything. Psalm 24, 1 through 2, we read it this morning. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Beloved, the key principle and understanding of what does it mean to be a faithful steward to God is to recognize everything belongs to God. You know, if you spend any, any time around children, you, you know that they have two favorite words. Their first favorite word is no. And the second favorite word is what? Mine. See, I ain't, I ain't got a prompt to. You already know. Mine. It doesn't matter if it was their gift for Christmas and they say it's mine. It could be, they could go over somebody else's house, find their toys, and say, mine. We, we, have, this, we have this deep sense of selfishness because of sin that just because we want it, we declare it to be mine. Beloved, this is the antithesis. This is contrary to the word of God. Nothing belongs to you and nothing belongs to me. This is contrary to what God is trying to teach us about stewardship. The first key to stewardship, the way that you can let go of your time, the way that you can work freely with your talents and let go of your treasure and to work well with your testimony is to understand it doesn't belong to you in the first place. It belongs to God. When you recognize that everything belongs to the Lord, then you'll take on a posture of humility. See, it's that selfishness within us that says, mine. So, so when I'm not getting my way, when I'm not getting my due, when I, when I don't have the clothes I think I, I, think I should have, when I, uh, 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 young, young folks, when, when y'all don't have the shoes that you think you should have, when, when, you, like, when you begin to, to, to think about those things, Uh, you're being selfish and you're being prideful because you're saying, I deserve more. But the steward understands that the the servant doesn't deserve anything and that everything God has given is a blessing. So when I began to understand that everything really belongs to God, so then when I began to use the resources that God has entrusted me with, I do things like actually, like, like ask God permission to do what you want to do. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, your, your church line, well, I'll pray on it. No, like before you buy that TV, you actually, Lord, should, should we buy this? Lord, should, I, I'm walking past this shoe store, Lord, and they're they calling me, Lord, should I go in? Father, they, uh, they, they, they got a sale on season tickets for U of L football. You know I've been wanting season tickets, but, uh, 
But, but instead of just going to do what you want to do, you actually pause and say, Lord, should I? See, only a posture of, of humility actually can say, can I? But what do we do? We, that old adage, we, we do what we want to do and ask for forgiveness later. Oh, Lord, help us. That is not, that's not stewardship. Stewardship actually gives you that humble posture to say, Lord, should I do it? But then it gives you that humble posture to say, Lord, thank you for what you've already given. If I really don't deserve anything, then I already have everything. Lord, if, our, if Lord, if you, if you never do anything else for me, we like saying that in a church, Lord, if you don't do another thing for me, I'm already been blessed enough. Do you really mean that? If you walked out of here and, and the Lord just turned off the speaker right now, and that job it, it ain't as sweet as it used to be, that, that, that car just begins to fall apart, are, are you really willing to say, Lord, if you don't do another thing for me? But that, that's the heart of a steward. Everything belongs to God and nothing belongs to us. If you really believe that, you and I have no claim of ownership, then, then your perspective in life changes. Those clothes you got on belong to the Lord. That car you drive belongs to the Lord. You stop telling people that you, that you won't pick them up if they have french fries with them. They can't eat in their old car, and you ain't going on this side of town, and you're not going to help them do this. If that car doesn't belong to you, you don't get to set all the rules. That house belongs to the Lord. Oh, I, I asked the Lord in, in my prayer time, go easy on them today. Help, help me, Lord, go easy on them today. Because we act like those houses we got are ours. You, you won't let the people of God come over to the house that God has given the child of God. What? No, uh, y'all can't have community group at my house. I'm sorry. I ain't mean to step on nobody's toes. Uh, uh, God forbid that you host a Bible study at your house. God forbid that you actually let somebody who need a meal in your house. God forbid that somebody track dirt in your house. God forbid that somebody who needs to hear a word from the Lord is welcome in your house. That house ain't yours. That house belongs to God. Your spouse belongs to the Lord. And because your spouse belongs to the Lord, you just can't talk sideways to your spouse whenever you feel like it. If your spouse belongs to God, then guess who you got to give an account to for your selfishness, for your sinfulness? If my spouse belongs to God and I treat my spouse with nothing but uh, respect and admiration, then God's going to hold me account. Stop talking sideways just because they married you. You ain't got permission to act how you want, talk how you want. Humble yourself before the Lord because your spouse don't belong to you. I got a few more. Your family don't belong to you. Some of y'all ain't talking to your cousin, sister, uncle, brother right now because because they get on your nerves. But if you see them as they don't belong to you, you don't get to act how you want to act. You don't get to text what you want to text. You don't get to email what you want to email. If they belong to God, then you need to start treating people right. 
That job belongs to the Lord. You grumbling and mumbling while somebody paying you to do half the work. Come on, you know you know you be on Facebook still getting a check. Mad because your supervisor asked you to get off the computer. They got the nerve to ask me to shut down my browser. Ain't you at work? Your job belongs to the Lord. First Corinthians 6.19 tells me your body belongs to the Lord. Like all of you belongs to the Lord. That means your eyes belong to the Lord. What you looking at? Your mind belongs to the Lord. What you think about? Your, your tongue, your mouth belongs to the Lord. What you saying? What you tasting? Your hands and your feet belong to the Lord. Like that children's song, be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. If my body belongs to the Lord, your, your, and your body is the, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I don't get to do whatever I want to do with my own body. This is a gift. You may not feel like it. But when you look in the mirror, what's looking back at you is a gift, baby. That's a gift. The fact that you see yourself is a gift. So don't be all frustrated when you got that pimple, that's it, and things ain't working right. Your eyebrows out of whack. Just thank God. Thank you, Lord. I got an eyebrow. Y'all acting up. I ain't even on my second point. It all belongs to God. So the first step in faithful stewardship is to understand it all belongs to God. Secondly, we're, we're going to walk through this, but, but faithful stewards recognize they are responsible for what has been entrusted. In the text, verses 16 through 18, so the, uh, the, the servants received the talents, one five, one two, and another one. And the text says, and immediately or, or right then, the, the, the one who received five begins to go out and to work with what he's been given, and he's able to multiply what he has. The one who has two begins to work with what, he, what he's been given, and he multiplies what he has. But then it comes to that one, the one who, that, 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 that received the one talent, instead of going to multiply what he had, he said he, he digs a hole and he puts that talent in the hole. Beloved, God has called us to be responsible for what he's given us. We need to understand not only does everything belong to God, but everything comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 reminds us, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You boasting because you got a beautiful voice, but beloved, that voice was given by God. You, 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 you boasting because you got all the common sense and folks, let me just be real. Common sense ain't really that common, okay? But, but 
if God has given you common sense, don't be mad at folks who ain't got common sense. We're going to have to work with them now. Work, work with them now. Work with them. So, so God is saying the common sense you do have came from me. It ain't because you street smart. It ain't because you grew up in the hood. It ain't because you just know. It's because God, in his mercy, saw fit to open up your mind to say no to that person who's trying to swindle you. So we, we can't boast. Rabbit trail, right quick. So, so this also means that, that if, God gives you a, say, if God gives you a spiritual gift of like preaching, teaching, prayer, or whatever, if he's giving you that gift, hear me, hear me, he's giving you that gift. You can't expect everybody else to have the same gift you do. So stop getting mad at people when they don't do the same things that you do because it comes easy for you. That ain't their gift. You just cheer them on and you use your gift, I use mine, and we better together. We can't boast. But, but what we see in, in God giving, in the master giving these servants the talents, is that everything we receive from God comes with an expectation of care, an expectation to care and to cultivate. The servants were to care for what was entrusted. Uh, I was able to do an interview with a student this week, and the student was just one that was doing a church history class and asking about some history of force, and they asked me, uh, uh, you know, what, what is it like to be a pastor of a church that's been, been there that long? And I said, you know what? I said, it's an, it's an incredible stewardship. It's a privilege. It is a sacred responsibility. And because Forrest has been here as long as she has been, and because of the people, uh, because of who she has blessed, it, it, it just, it just, it's a constant reminder that this church don't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord, and we are to care for his church. So this is the same, this is the same posture that the service had. They, they wanted to care. They, they needed to care for what God has given them. But what I want to focus on today is that the servants were to cultivate what was entrusted. The master had an expectation of a return on his investment. In Luke 19, we know this because it says he sent them to engage in business. And the first two servants did just that. What they received, they put to work for the, for, 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 for the master. They wasn't trying to flip their own money. They was trying to flip it for the master. They, they, they knew that the master had given them this, this tremendous privilege. It, it was a privilege to be entrusted. It didn't say all the servants, just some of the servants. It was a, a privilege to be entrusted. So because of this privilege, I'm going to do my best to, to make sure this, this what was entrusted to me, I want to cultivate it and grow it. The first two servants they did just that, but the last servant didn't. And beloved, in the same way, God expects for you and I to care for and to increase what God has entrusted to us. So the key here, I want you to understand, God wants you to maximize the gifts he's entrusted to you. The gift of salvation is not an end. It's just the beginning. 
You weren't, that's why I say you weren't saved to sit. If Jesus actually has made a difference in your life, he didn't save you just to come sit on Sunday. He is saying, I have given you, I have entrusted you with the, the mysteries and the treasures of God, and now you need to do something with them. This is why we have the command to go ye therefore and make disciples. Do, do something with your salvation. Is this not what God called Adam to do in the garden? What does he say to Adam? He, say, he creates Adam. He says, Adam, I give you dominion over everything. You're going to rule and reign in my place. You're going to be my vice lord. He's given him a, pos a position of stewardship. But what does he say specifically? He says, as you are ruling and reigning and having dominion, he says, be fruitful and what? And multiply. A faithful disciple multiplies what's been given. And he's calling us, he's calling you, and he's calling me to maximize all that he has given to us. How are you maximizing all God has entrusted to you? Has what God entrusted to you been on the increase or the decrease? A faithful steward recognizes they are responsible for what God entrusted. Lastly, thirdly, faithful stewards recognize they are accountable for what has been entrusted. The text says in verse 19 that the master came back to settle accounts. I like how the King James reads there, to reckoneth, to brings a reckoning, to, 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 to hold them accountable for what has been given. And as he is holding them accountable, the first servant comes up and says, Master, I've taken your five and I've, now I have ten. And what does he say? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Now I, I, I will bless you with much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And he says the, second thing, the same thing to the one who takes the two and makes them four. But for the last one, he says, you wicked servant. You wicked and slothful servant. You, you've done nothing. And he's angry with that last servant. But notice in the text, I just want to bring out two things. Notice when the master uh, settled accounts with his servants, he was greeted with either excitement or excuses. You see that? The first two came up with excitement. Oh, master, I, I've taken what you gave me and I made more. They're excited to see the master come. They've been doing what they're supposed to do. But the one that didn't, uh, 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 um, uh, see what had happened was, um, I, I knew you was a hard man. And, um, you know, I was kind of afraid of you. So, um, so, so, I, so I just hit it. You know how you were in school? There's two types of people in the classroom. People who do their homework and people who don't. The people who do their homework, they, they come in class with their paper. I'm done, finished, name right all across it. They ready, they ready to turn in the homework. They study for the quiz. We taking the quiz today? They ready. But you know how we do. When we didn't do our homework, we come in class slow. It's time to turn it in. We the last one up. We got excuses. My dog ate my homework. Uh, I was in anaphylactic shock this weekend. I couldn't do nothing. But you in school today. Like, like, like we come with all these excuses. Beloved, that's a word for us. Because when Jesus come back, either you're going to be excited to see him, or are you going to start coming up with a bunch of excuses? Two principles come out of this. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over a much. In, in God's economy, he says, you have to start small before you can go big. Don't try to get the big name until you're ready to wear the little name. In, in this day and age, everybody wanna, wanna, want, want the titles before they actually did any work. Don't you know that, that, that God is, he, he grooms you with the little work. He said, if I could trust you with the, with the preschoolers, if I can trust you with the first graders, if I, if I can trust you with that one classroom, then, then I, can, I can give you more. So the principle, that principle in God's economy, you have to start small before you go big. But secondly, he says, I knew you were a hard man, so I was afraid. If you find yourself mostly blaming others for your failures, you're probably an unfaithful steward. We always blaming somebody else. It's their fault. Isn't that, what the, is, is that not what the one did? He didn't say it was the other servant's fault. He began to blame God. God, you were a hard man. And he began to throw these accusations. See, right there, see, stewardship is a matter of perspective. Do you see God as the, the loving God that he is who, who is willing to give you and take care of you? Or do you see God as this authoritarian in heaven that wants to beat you up when you get it wrong? It's a matter of perspective. God wants us to see him as the loving, benevolent father who is just, who is true, but, 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 but the one who is willing to take care of you, take care of us. Verse 26, why was the... Master so angry. Verse 26 reveals that the status quo is not good enough in God's kingdom economy. We are disobedient when we become stagnant and unproductive in our faith. But the second reason, reading Tony Evans' book really fleshed this out. I, I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that, that, that's, 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 that's sweet, how the Lord lays that out. The second reason, I understand, remember, he said that the servant who received the one, he went and dug a hole and put the money in the hole. In ancient Near Eastern times, that, that would have been a, a, a valid form of protection for his money, to dig a hole, only you know where the hole was, and so couldn't nobody, like, break into your house, rob you, or take it off your person. So they would put large sums of money in a hole. See, but watch this. I, I, I believe this servant wasn't quite sure if the master was coming back. And if he had went to the bank, there would have been a, a, a paper trail that the money was out there. So instead of taking it to the bank and working, he dug a hole where only he would know where that money was. Beloved, I really believe that this servant was willing to take everything that the master had give, given and keep it for himself. He was about to rob the master. He, he, he didn't think the master was going to come back. See, in those times when people would travel, there was a whole lot of, of like issues that could have taken place. It was easy to get robbed. It was easy to get mugged. It was easy for your boat to sink. And I think perhaps he was going to take the master's talent 
and keep it for itself and use it for his own pleasure and his own purposes. Beloved, just like that last servant, we take God's wonderful gifts and we act like the master is not going to return. And we begin to use what God has given us just for ourselves, for our own purpose, for our own pleasure. All those gifts and talents that you just wheeling and dealing on the job. You a great used car salesman. You a great administrator. You a great nurse. You a great teacher. God giving you those gifts, but in, instead of giving those gifts back to God, you using the riching up and fattening your bank account because you want your own pleasures. Steal it from God. Are you stealing from the master? At least I went to church, but you're stealing from the master. But I was an usher, but are you stealing from the master? But I was a greeter, but are you stealing from the master? But I was a teacher, but are you stealing from the master? But I was a deacon, but are you stealing from the master? But I was a pastor, but are you stealing from the master? But what is it that God has asked you to do? Stop doing what you want to do with what God has entrusted to you and start doing what God has called you to do. If not, you're stealing from the master. No better than that third servant. What is his reward from stealing from the master? And cast the worthless servant out into outer darkness in a place there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's two lines of thought here. One line of thought is actually that uh, the outer darkness represents uh, this person is still part of the family, but they kind of, they, they got to watch. They, they, they can't partake. So, so, so this one, this one Mary, like, on Judgment Day, when, when those who have been faithful are receiving their crowns and their rewards, it's like the person who, who really didn't have any crowns, any rewards, because they did nothing with what God has blessed them, and they're kind of looking on the side with, with a deep sense of regret. But the other sense is that this servant has proven that they're not a servant because they have not been faithful. And that servant deserves to be cast away from the presence of God in hell, not to enjoy the rest that comes from the master. Faithful stewards are accountable for what has been entrusted. John 15, 16 reminds us, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you, watch this, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. At the end of the day, faithfulness is founded in fondness. The deciding factor for faithfulness is a growing love for Jesus. If you really want to be faithful, don't work on being faithful. Just work on loving Jesus. As you grow in your love for Jesus day by day, you will find that you're willing to be more faithful to Jesus day by day. This is not a grip the steering wheel and just try to work harder. This is no, Lord, help me to have affections for you. Lord, help me to love you and your word. Father, help me to love your people and the community of saints. Father, help me to enjoy all that you have given me. Father, help me to be a faithful steward. Father, I, I just thank you for this salvation. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you just put breath in my lungs and gave me strength to go out this day. Lord God, thank you for the food that's on my table and the clothes that's on my back. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for this job that I have. It's hard working here, but still, yeah, you allow me to provide for my family. Father, I just thank you for these kids who, who are getting on my nerves. Father, because this could be a home without children. Lord, you know my situation. Thank you for it. Father, I, my, my children are just going crazy, but Lord, I thank you that you allow me to still speak into their life. Lord, this marriage is really hard, but, but Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for the spot that you have given me. And if you're a man, the word of God reminds us that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, if you say otherwise, then you are a liar because you are not true because God says my wife is a good thing. Thank you, Jesus. And you just begin to praise God for what you have. If you, can't, if you can't remember, you just spend some time just writing down one by one. I dare you. I, I double-dog dare you just to pull out a pen and, and, name, and write it from, from 1 to 100, just all the good things that God has done in my life. And I believe that as you look back over your life, that you will realize that there was times where I thought God wasn't there and he was there. There was times where I never thought I would get out that situation or circumstance, but Jesus was there. I thought I was going to die, but Jesus was with me on the sick bed. I thought I was going to go get fired. I should have got fired, but Jesus was with me on my job. I thought I was going to lose my mind with my children, but God regulated my mind. I thought I was going through hell and high water, but God showed up in my life. That's how you stir your affections for Jesus. You just stop and, and stop, look, stop what, what the pastor will say. Stop navel-gazing and start looking up to Jesus. Lord, you bless me with so much. How could I not praise you? How can I not lift holy hands? How can I not jump? How can I not walk down the street? How could I not? Because, God, you've been good to me. And that attitude of gratitude becomes contagious. And God begins to well up inside of you a love that's ever flowing from uh, everlasting because you begin to realize that he is the living water. And he's producing in you this well of gratitude. Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what the master says? He says, well done, that good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. But don't forget what his last words was. Enter into the joy of your master. He is saying that there is joy, unspeakable joy, incredible joy, when you begin to walk faithfully, loving on Jesus Christ. God did not entrust you with his treasures for you to bury them. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 reminds us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for, he ha for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Beloved, there's going to be a day when the master shows back up and you're going to have to give an account for your life. And the only thing that's going to matter at that moment is whether you know Jesus as Lord and Savior or not. Because no matter how hard we try, how much we try to work, we are nothing but failures. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because the great love with which he loved us, even we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is because of the shed blood of Jesus that we can stand before the judgment seat of God and we can say, Father, as, as the enemy is ac uh, accusing me right now, he said that I had a, a gossiping problem. He says that I had a, a bitterness problem. Everything he said about me is true. But beloved, I just want to, uh, Heavenly Father, I want to point you to, to, to Exhibit A. And Exhibit A is the slain lamb that sits on the throne who, who was and is and is to come. It is because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. Can I stand right here and say, I don't deserve to get in, but by your grace, I'm coming in. So, beloved, good enough is no longer good enough. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for being mighty and for being so strong. And I ask you that you would move within our hearts, convict us of sin, help us to repent. But Father, help us to be faithful stewards, knowing that you have given us much. Help us to be faithful with what you have already given because our faithfulness is revealed in our stewardship towards you. Father, even right now, I pray for the one who is struggling and wrestling against sin. May you set them free. For the one who is considering uh, submitting and surrendering their life to you. Father, please do it. Please draw them in. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, we love you. We thank you. In the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. amen.